Welcome to Lockhead on Marketing, where we're trying the world's first marketing pod storm. 30 days of strategies and ideas to help you create the future of your choosing. Hey ho, let's go. Thanks for pressing play. This is Lockhead on Marketing, and this is part two of our Q&A session uh, as part of our marketing pod storm, the first ever marketing pod storm. And um, if you listened to the last episode, you know we're doing a live Q&A session on our Facebook group every Friday at 11.30 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, we'd love to have you join us for that. Or uh, you can email any of your questions to blackhole at lockhead.com and uh, we'll do our best to get those answered on a future uh, Q&A episode. As always, we are brought to you by my good friends at uh, Oracle NetSuite to receive your free guide. It's great. It's a good read called Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now. And businesses definitely need to take some action. <laughs> this recession will not stand, man. To schedule your free product tour and to get your guide, seven actions businesses need to take now, visit netsuite.com slash different. That's netsuite.com slash different. And now data matters more than ever before. Let's have a fact-based discussion and let's take action on data. Visit my friends at Splunk, S-P-L-U-N-K dot com slash D to E as in data to everything, bringing data to every question, every decision and every action. That's S-P-L-U-N-K dot com slash D to E. Uh, now, your questions and my slightly sober answers. Hey ho, let's go. Here's one coming in from a gal named Cindy. Hi, Cindy. So the, her, her, her question is, let me see if I can quite understand this, sort of how to know if you have a new category. Because one of the things that we've been talking about a lot lately is, as counterintuitive as it might sound, now's a great time to launch a new category. And so she's asking about how, how do I know whether I have a, a category, a new category or not? Well, it's one of those, I've been quoting presidents, so we can quote Clinton now. It depends on what your definition of is is. It is possible to create a new category, Cindy, with a subtle difference. But the thing you want to start to ask yourself is a couple of key questions. Number one, um, what problem do I solve? And how do I solve that in a different or unique way? And if it's not, if you don't think of it as a problem, maybe you, you create an opportunity similar though. There's something going on. Um, there's an opportunity. There's a problem that you see in the marketplace and you think that um, you see it differently. And as a result of seeing it differently, you have a different solution. And sort of the aha here is nobody buys a solution unless they see a problem. And so what kind of what um, a lot of smart people call market insights, Cindy, do you have? And my friend, Ann Mirako, who's, um, she's one of the founders of Floodgate Capital in Silicon Valley. And, um, and she, she describes this as there's sort of two insights that you can have. Uh, one is a technical insight. So, uh, we see this in Silicon Valley all the time where somebody creates an amazing new algorithm or some new cool piece of hardware. Uh, or in Play Bigger, for example, one of, the ex one of the stories we tell is that of Corning. And Corning created uh, what today is called Gorilla Glass, the glass that's on your iPhone and your other most smartphones. They invented that glass that you could touch and do things with uh, years ago. 
but there was no application for it. So at that time, it was a technical breakthrough. It was a solution looking for a problem. And it wasn't until Steve Jobs came along, and I don't know if you know the story of um, of the how the iPhone was created, but originally it was going to have a plastic interface. So the touchscreen was going to be plastic. And uh, very shortly before the launch, I forget how shortly, but it was within weeks, might have even been sooner, um, Jobs said, this plastic feels cheap and this product needs to feel incredible. We need it to be glass. And so all of a sudden they had to go running to find, could they find glass that would work in that touch way that we're now all so used to? And they discovered that Corning had invented this um, and, and away you go. And the rest, so to speak, is history. And so that's an example of a technical insight. A group of engineers, a group of inventors, a group of scientists see something or they're playing with something or they discover something and they go, wow, this is really fucking cool. Mm, Not really sure what to do about it. And then they sort of go looking for a problem. In the case of Gorilla Glass, it took uh, quite a few years before, uh, before they found it. So that's sort of a technical insight. Uh, the other kind of insight that Ann talks about is a, a market insight. So, for example, Ann was the lead investor in a company called TaskRabbit that you might know. And um, we had Leah Buskey on, on uh, Follow Your Different a while ago. She's the founder of TaskRabbit. And this was a market insight. And the aha was, I want to be able to hire somebody to do you know what you might call an odd job. It takes something from point A to point B, come over and help me with something, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and of course, in order to do that, uh, you, you want people who are reliable and safe and you know vetted so they're not criminals and the like. And so TaskRabbit is essentially what you might think of as a marketplace, but it's a new category where people who need odd jobs or things done um, can, can request them and get them done. What ended up happening over time was they niche down hard on Ikea. Because I don't know about you, but I can't put together anything from Ikea. The few times in my life I've attempted anything from Ikea, what happens for me is I, I put together the new dresser or whatever, and then I look on the, on the floor and I say, wow, look at all the extra parts they gave us. <laughs> and of course, they're not extra parts at all. And so uh, TaskRabbit ultimately became the leader in its category and got acquired by um, by um, IKEA themselves, and so so to get back to your question, um, do you have a technical insight or do you have a market insight? And regardless of what it is, begin to evangelize that insight, that difference, that problem with a provocative point of view. And if you can get it to tip at scale, you will create um, a new category. Now, it looks like uh, oh, my friend Ellen says she doesn't drink except a few sips on holidays. Well, as you know, I'm a trained medical professional. I was an orderly for a couple of years when I was a kid. And so it's my trained medical uh, <laughs> recommendation that it's OK to have a few extra sips during a global pandemic. <laughs> uh, my dear friend, Jamie J., how do you talk about problems in a positive way? Uh, I think that's a great question, and it's something that can lead to mass differentiation and category creation. And so um, here's what I've learned. What you want to do in the way you talk about problems is do it such that you create an us and you make the problem an enemy, a them, so to speak. 
you want to define the problem very powerfully in a way that resonates with people. And then you say, this aggression will not stand, man. So I'll give you one that's very pertinent to the times. There's a company called Gojo Industries, and they've been around for generations. And they're the original category designers of liquid soap. Pre-Gojo Industries, there was just hand, hand soap, a bar of soap, and that was it. And they created liquid soap years ago. And uh, they kept focused on the problem. And by focusing on the problem, they kept asking different questions about the problem. And so rather than falling in love with the solution, Jamie, they fall, were falling in love with the problem, which is called, how do I keep my hands clean? And they asked a very important question. How do I wash my hands in the absence of both water and soap? And they went to work on that. And they created a new ca uh, category, which interestingly enough, only got launched in the mid-90s. And that category, of course, is hand sanitizer, right? And uh, you think about today and our need for hand sanitizer. And by asking that question, how do we wash our hands in the absence of soap? They got to that answer. And so, Jamie, to get to your question, um, Gojo, if you will, is an evangelist for clean hands, is an evangelist for uh, killing germs. And so germs on your hands is a problem. And they talk about the power of a hand sanitizer. And so we want to frame a problem in a way that's deeply relatable. And we want to be seen as the hero. Our brand wants to be the hero in the story of mobilizing people to come together to solve said problem. And if you do, so if you talk about the problem in a way that empowers people to uh, sort of almost angry might be too strong of a word, but, but uh, get motivated like you are to solve the problem and then evangelize a powerful solution, they can get enrolled in your problem. And, uh, you know, my buddy, Mike Maples, who's Ann's partner, we have an episode uh, with him coming up very, very soon, A Failure Different, that's a stunner. Um, um, he talks about that legendary entrepreneurs create movements. And so think of yourself as an evangelist creating a movement to solve a problem in a motivational way. And, you know, maybe the greatest in American history was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And if you think about what he did, it was a stunner. He didn't make the problem a black versus white problem. He made it an all of us problem. He made it an equality problem. He made it a dream for all of us. And he pulled on all of our heartstrings in that the dreams of African-Americans to be treated equally and have equal opportunity and to have justice and all of the things that, you know, that, that he represents, the truth is those are dreams of all people. And so rather than sort of taking a side against one group of people against another, in this case, the, the, what he made the enemy was the ignorance. What he made the enemy was uh, the way pe certain people were being treated and the fact that we all wanted to, uh, we all want to be treated the same. And so make the problem the enemy 
and then mobilize people with a provocative and engaging point of view uh, against that enemy. Thanks, Ellen. I'm glad you were here. Uh, we'll be wrapping up, I think, pretty soon anyway. So uh, th- thank you, love. It's great. It's great to see you. Here's another question coming in anonymously. I didn't even know you could do that. Um, about how do you create demand uh, in a situation where, where your revenue um, is dropping? Um, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. And I know many companies are having this problem. So uh, let me give you a bunch of ideas. Um, and hopefully, I don't know that this is totally going to answer the question, but hopefully it will stimulate, it'll stimulate some thinking. The first idea would be to take a handful of your smartest people from marketing, sales, and maybe even other areas of the company you decide and lock them in the room for half a day. You can decide whether you want to lock them in there with some libations or not. Um, and say, do a brainstorm for us on three to five ways, three to five things that we could do near term to stimulate revenue. And chances are, if you have three to five smart people, group of small people focused on a few ideas that are highly executable, executable in a short period of time, um, they will come up with something. So that's, I think, where where I would start if I was looking to say, okay, how do we produce revenue uh, in a very short period of time? Um, But also, let me give you some specifics. If anonymous, you're in the B2B space, um, here's one area I would look. It's an area we used to call Hey, Sean, I'm so stoked you're here, buddy. I love everything you're doing on social media. Love what you're doing with your podcast. Um, You guys should check out Sean's podcast, Sean Block. He's unbelievable. Um, So in the the B2B space, um, and I'm hoping to have Subar Samian on soon so that we can talk about this. Hopefully, we'll make this happen. But um, there's this idea, and some of you may know this, called white space analysis. Essentially, what you do is you take your existing customer base, you you do a quick analysis to find out um, which of your products or services they're currently using. And then, of course, once you know what they're using, you know what they're not using. And then you immediately target existing customers. Maybe they bought, you know, 70% of what you have to offer to market and sell them that 30%. And that low-hanging fruit with existing customers um, is a very, very powerful thing that you can do. I think um, if you're in the B2C world, I think the most powerful thing you can do is be visible in your neighborhood, in your community right now. And if you're a regular listener, um, you know that uh, Eddie Yoon and I have been talking a lot about how to be radically generous and thoughtfully aggressive at the same time. And so I would encourage you to say, okay, what what would be some things that we could do that would be generous, that would help our community? I think all of us have a deep human desire to make a difference for others. And right now, the world needs us to make that difference. And so maybe you can sponsor a fundraiser for your local food bank or some other uh, charitable organization or, or uh, faith-based organization, anything that you're um, you know, attached to or feel good about that is trying to make a difference in the C-19 crisis. Attach your company, your brand, your category to a fundraiser for them. Uh, There's all sorts of other creative things you can do. Uh, Now's the time for great giveaways. You can make, speaking of hand sanitizer, you can make hand sanitizer, put your logo on it and and give it away in in the front of your shop. Uh, One of the obvious ones that I'm surprised more 
uh, small entrepreneurs, more B2C companies aren't doing in their community, make masks with your logo on them and give them out. Or make masks that have a great saying on them and a tiny little logo on them. So I think whatever you do right now as a, as a B2C company in particular, be visible in your community. And uh, if you do that in a way that's generous and it's thoughtful, um, there's a lot of people that don't know you're back in business or, or forgot that you were there. It's been many weeks. And so just being visible um, may fire people up to uh, come into your store or to visit your location or to uh, use your mobile app or things along those lines. Um, speaking of mobile app, um, another thing that you can do, and this may sound crazy in a, in a pandemic, uh, Eddie and I have written a lot about, and we talk about it even in Play Bigger, this idea of building a data flywheel. And what a data flywheel is, uh, is imagine that you're capturing information about customers, sales information, behavior information, any kind of uh, 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 engagement information, uh, et cetera. And um, you're putting all that stuff into a database and you're building a data store of that and you're using the right technology to do that. And then you're harnessing that data so that you understand what their preferences are, what their behavior, behavior is, what they're buying, what they're not buying. And the aha here is, um, if you think about Netflix as a great example, Netflix has a huge advantage in the quote-unquote streaming wars because they have years of data about what you and I do when we go on Netflix that, by way of example, Disney didn't have when they launched Disney Plus not that long ago. And so building a data flywheel is a very powerful thing. Now, you might ask, well, if you're a small entrepreneur, how do you do that? I was on a call with a group of entrepreneurs last night, and uh, a buddy of mine named Brian Rocha has a, um, in Los Banos, California, is, is creating a new category where he's brought three things together that are not always together. He brought a, a, a gas station, a convenience store, a very nice, you know, not like a piece of shit store, but like a real local market quality kind of convenience store and a juice bar all together in one to create a unique experience. So it's a lot more than a typical um, um, convenience store, certainly a typical gas station. Now, prior to C19, um, he had decided that he wanted to build a data flywheel. And he, he got a team of engineers together and he started to build a mobile app. And they were starting to play with it and have some success with it and promote it to their customers and so forth. Then C19 hit and he was like, oh shit, let's, let's triple down on building the data flywheel with the mobile app. And he tied the mobile app with a pickup capability. That is to say, you could order something from his, his store and uh, curbside pickup. Well, guess what? They sort of relaunched that very recently. They're promoting it with, you know, all on every gas pump and this and that, doing all these things. And they've had an explosion in, um, in usage of their mobile app. It's helping to drive revenue, which is easing the pain of C19 in the near term. And he is strategically building a data flywheel that's going to allow him a level of intimacy and knowledge with his customers over time that will allow him to serve them better and should be a great driver and should be a great, um, uh, really just a great thing for his business. And so what's my point? Whether you're a venture-backed startup and you've raised $200 million and you're trying to build the next Netflix, Oracle, Facebook, whatever, 
or you're a Somali entrepreneur uh, in the um, in the Central Valley of California, and you're trying to build a new concept gas station, uh, juice bar, uh, grocery store, you can get this done. And uh, and in this case, it's making a giant difference. So I would also encourage you to look at how do you turn your product into a data flywheel. And I would assert to you that it's not just technology companies that can do this. Um, it's any kind of company. And if a small entrepreneur, in this case, my buddy Rocha, who I respect and admire, and I'm so stoked for his success, he's a young guy doing amazing things. If he can pull that off in a space like that, then chances are uh, you can pull it off in your space. All right. We would like to thank the good folks at Spiro.ai, helping you increase your sales at this crazy time with the power of AI and proactive relationship management. Check out Spiro.ai. My friends at Atranet have been building legendary B2B websites and for over 20 years. Check out Atre.net. I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And uh, the producers and creators of this podcast have probably been consuming libations we are produced and edited by living podcast legend jason DeFilippo. check out his podcast grumpy old geeks technical awesomeness by sarah knox and jamie J. love you both show notes by diane gervasio uh candy dandy make sure everything happens and uh, show notes yeah i said diane gervasio hey diane <laughs> <laughs> the thought I want to leave you with comes from Coco Chanel, who said, in order to be irreplaceable, one must always be different. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different. 